What's up, Seekers of Strength? Welcome to another captivating episode of Gathering Strength. I'm your host, and today we have something truly special in store. This episode marks a milestone, a celebration of life's remarkable journey as we raise our anchor and set sail into the fascinating world of turning 40. Yes, it's true, dear friends, your host, celebrating a big four-zero. And what better way to commemorate this momentous occasion than by sharing some of life's most valuable lessons and insights with all of you. You see, the age of 40 is like a treasure chest of experiences, filled with precious gems that glisten with wisdom. But it's not just about me. Nah, on the contrary. It's about all of us who've reached this remarkable age and have stories to tell. Today we're going to explore a vast sea of life lessons. From the profound importance of self-knowledge to the priceless value of health. We'll embark on a financial journey discovering the alchemy of wisdom that turns money into opportunities. We'll navigate the intricate waters of relationships, both personal and professional, and uncover the secrets to nurturing connections that last a lifetime. But wait, there's more! We're also going to dive into the pursuit of purpose, finding the cargo that fills our lives with meaning. We'll weather the storms of adversity and emerge stronger, wiser, and more resilient. And, of course, we'll embark on the quest for happiness, exploring the shores of contentment and joy. But that's not all. Go ahead and check your inbox because I just sent you some Dogecoin. Along with the Dogecoin, this episode has an extra special twist. We're going to dive into the uncharted waters of parenthood and marriage. Two chapters that add depth and complexity to the voyage of life. We'll unravel the lessons learned, the challenges faced, and the beauty discovered in these profound relationships. So whether you have recently hit the big foe, or you're on the cusp of this remarkable age, or you're simply curious about the wisdom that comes with time, this episode is for you. Join me as we celebrate life, love, and the enduring quest for self-improvement and happiness. Stay tuned because just in a moment, we'll set sail on this incredible journey guided by the wisdom of the ages and the shared experiences that make us all stronger together. Welcome to Gathering Strength a podcast where we celebrate life's milestones, share our stories, and embark on a journey of self-discovery. I'm your host, Ruby Rube, and this is my 40th birthday celebration episode. By now, you already know that I like to kick off my podcast episodes with a quote by the GOAT, Warren Buffett. He said, the more you learn, the more you earn. And by golly, you're going to learn today. You're going to learn that I want you to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger via 1974 as he was competing and dominating the bodybuilding world championships. That's right. I want you to look jacked. I want your veins to have veins. I want you to have the buff body, the buff mind, the buff spirit, and the buff bank. Life is heavy. We're not always going to have a spot. But luckily for you, I got you back. 
If you're ready to get into it, let's get into it. If you didn't get me anything for my birthday, hey, it's all good. This is an opportunity for you to redeem yourself. Go ahead and give me a like, a subscribe, and a follow. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And in return, as a party favor, I'm going to continue to give you awesome podcast content. The age of 40 is similar to the midpoint of a grand adventure, where the journey of life unfolds like an epic tale. It's a moment when you pause, survey the landscapes you've traversed, and set your sights on the uncharted horizons ahead. By this age, you have amassed a treasure trove of experiences, each one a gem that glistens with wisdom. When you look at your life, you should have learned from your own mistakes, and a wise man also learns from other people's mistakes as well. So therefore, if you are not completely oblivious to the lessons that life has taught you, you should have a robust catalog of what works and what doesn't work. One of the definitions of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expect different results. If you would like to consider yourself amongst the same people that occupy this world, well then, hey, you have been able to identify many of the things that no longer serve you, that no longer work, and you've been able to cast all that malarkey to the side and you have developed some new skills, some new coping mechanisms, some new tools, some new perspectives that actually get you to where you want to go. One of the most profound lessons that I have learned about myself has been about myself. Self-knowledge, the treasure map. At 40 years old, we find ourselves navigating the intricate terrain of self-knowledge, similar to studying an ancient treasure map. The great philosopher Socrates once observed, quote, an unexamined life is not worth living, end quote. Now this is the juncture where we embark on an internal expedition, deciphering our own unique map, discovering our strengths, vulnerabilities, values, and dreams. This self-awareness becomes our guiding North Star, steering us through the ever-shifting currents of life. Health, the priceless jewel. Imagine your health as a priceless jewel, its brilliance radiating the vitality of life. As we cross the threshold of 40, we come to cherish the truth in the words of the American essayist Ralph Waldo Emerson. Quote, the first wealth is health. End quote. The treasure chest of well-being holds a precious gem, reminding us that nothing in the world can replace the glow of good health. It's a jewel that bestows upon us the strength to set sail towards new horizons. Now, as I approached the age of 40, I started to develop my own little philosophical quotes. Now, to compound on top of Walt. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson's quote. And you know what? I have the audacity to mess with such a prolific quote. But hey, 
You know, uh, Bruce Lee said that we need to identify what is useful, identify what is not useful, and then add our own little twist onto it. So, hey, here's my little twist to add on top of Ralph Waldo Emerson's quote. Now, he said, the first wealth is health. And I'm going to add on that discipline is the legal tender because, man, with discipline, you, you have to pay to get your health. It's, it's not free. And the way that you pay to get your health is with discipline. Now, discipline is the legal tender that gets you health, which is wealth. Health is wealth and discipline is the legal tender. End quote by your boy, Ruby Rube, courtesy of the gathering strength. And that quote is not to be used, written, or expressed without the written consent of your boy, Ruby Rube. And if I find that on a bumper sticker somewhere, oh, I'll track you down and I'll sue your ass. Wealth, finance, and the alchemy of wisdom. Essentially what alchemy is, it is turning one thing into the other. Now, for example, wealth. It is the elusive elixir of life. A mysterious potion that many seek. By 40 years old, we've embarked on the alchemical journey of finance. Realizing that it's not merely about counting coins, but rather the wisdom to invest them wisely. In the witty words of Mark Twain, quote, The lack of money is the root of all evil. End quote. It is not the gold itself, but the choices we make with it that determine our course. It is in this process that we become financial alchemists. We transform our hard-earned coins, our hard-earned money into opportunities, into investments, and into a secure future. Benjamin Franklin, the sage of American history, once wisely quipped, quote, An investment in knowledge pays the best interest, end quote. We, too, recognize that financial literacy is the key that unlocks the treasure chest of financial freedom. Now, to hearken back to the quote that Benjamin Franklin said, quote, An investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Now, in order to earn Man, Warren Buffett, he says you need to go out and learn. Like I said before, I start off my podcast with that quote by the goat, Warren Buffett. And I'm just going to insert it again, once again, right here because it is applicable. Warren Buffett said, the more you learn, the more you earn. And you know what? Because there's nothing new under the sun, essentially, you know, that is just his own iteration of what Benjamin Franklin said hella days ago. A investment in knowledge pays the best interest. You know, if I were to uh, score and rank and judge the two quotes, I like the way Warren Buffett's quote rolls off the tongue a, a little bit. The more you learn, the more you earn. And it is, it's interesting how the word earn is inside the word learn. L-E-A-R-N E. E-A-R-N. <laughs> it's pretty pretty awesome how that worked out. Along that path, nurturing relationships, the ship's crew. Now picture your relationships as the devoted crew of a grand ship. 
These bonds, both personal and professional, are the heartbeats of the voyage. In the words of C.S. Lewis, the British author, quote, Friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, What? You two? I thought I was the only one. End quote. It is in these connections that we find camaraderie, support, and a shared laughter. But much like a ship's crew, relationships need care and attention. The quality of these connections become our responsibility. We understand that building and nurturing relationships isn't just about embarking on the ship, but also ensuring it remains seaworthy. As the African proverb wisely states, quote, If you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Now, as I reflect on my life in regards to this aspect of lessons learned by a 40-year-old, I have had many people come in and out of my life. Some people who I would call friends, acquaintances, some dudes who I knew, some people that I, you know, I don't know, I, I guess I was able to call at some point. But, you know, because relationships need to be tended to, you know, I found myself lacking the, the energy to further nurture relationships that were stifling my own growth. Now, as the African proverb wisely states, if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Man, I just haven't been able to find solid, solid people in my life. So, hey, if you're a solid guy who is, I don't know, man, capable of having fun, working hard, and it's not all about drinking and smoking and sending dick pics back and forth because man <laughs> I mentioned this one group of guys who I tried to connect with and it, the the group texts they started off you know innocent started off fun but then it slowly devolved into like dick pics pussy pictures pornographic images and I'm just like man this is not what I signed up for and now this is where the discernment comes in for a healthy, well-evolved, overall mature man. It's like, man, you got time for that? Do you want to make time for that? Do you want to try to change these guys? Or do you just want to, you know, focus on yourself, focus on your family, get to where you guys need to be and go, and then, you know, pray for those relationships for to be delivered into your life. And I am a man of prayer. I'm a man of push-ups. Prayer and push-ups. And I believe that when you do both of those, you gain so many things that man, you didn't even know was going to be the byproduct of doing those two little simple acts. So here I am praying for men, not, not weak men. I need strong men in my life. So once again, hey, holla at your boy. Ruby Rube over here at the Gathering Strength Podcast because, hey, I, I can go fast. I, I've proved that to myself. I can go very fast. But you know what? I'm also trying to go far. And whether it is going far alone or, hey, maybe even perhaps, maybe I'm supposed to be going far with my family, with, with, my, with my sister, with my wife, with my kids, 
we will go far together. The pursuit of purpose, a valuable cargo. Imagine your career as a precious cargo, one that should not only be protected, but also cherished. The ancient Chinese philosopher Confucius once advised, quote, choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life, end quote. We embark on a journey to find this cargo, seeking work that resonates with our values and passions. Work-life balance isn't just a distant lighthouse anymore. It's a cherished destination. We understand that professional success should not come at the cost of our personal lives. Albert Schwitzer, the Nobel laureate and theologian, sagely noted that, quote, Success is not the key to happiness. Happiness is the key to success. End quote. We heed this wisdom, knowing that our cargo of purpose should bring joy, not weigh us down. Now, I have a job. I don't hate it. I don't love it. I'm good at it. It provides me with the things that I need to live a stable life. And it's the things that I do with the money that I earn from my job that enriches my life. Now, I am a firm believer of blooming wherever you are planted. I am a man that keeps his ears to the tracks for opportunity. And if and when that opportunity should come, hey, guess what? I'm going to be in a position to pounce on it. In the meantime, I don't go to work daydreaming about, oh, I wish I was here, I wish I was there, blah, 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 this is so miserable. You know, even if you had your dream job, if you don't have the right mindset, hey, guess what? You're going to squander that too. When you get that dream job, you know, it's just going to be another job. When you get that dream house, that dream car, that dream wife, that dream whatever, that thing that you desire, when you get it after the the newness wears off, you're going to be wanting something else. You're going to be in your dream job and you're going to be like, oh man, I wish I had this other dream job. The point that I'm getting at is, you know, hey, I'm going to encourage you to, um, to Google the hedonic treadmill hedonic adaptation and in a nutshell what that states is once again this is backed by science is backed by religious texts by scripture essentially there's not one thing that you're ever going to do or ever going to win there's not one one moment of crowning glory that's going to make you happy forever You can get 50 million Instagram subscribers, 50 million TikTok subscribers. You can have endorsements by Oprah, by Ellen, by freaking President Barack Obama, Biden, all those people. You can be partying with Logan Paul in Dubai, bumping elbows with Roman Reigns. Hey, once that, sure, you know, that's, that's, that sounds like a great time right now. Hey, I wouldn't mind being in Dubai, bumping elbows, flying private with Roman Reigns. But hey, if you don't have your head right, if you aren't able to appreciate, you know, a a single cup of coffee, you're going to be offended when 
you know, the, the stewardess on that private plane brings you salted nuts when, hey, you specifically asked for unsalted nuts. Hedonic adaptation. There's not going to be one thing in your life that makes you happy forever. And on the flip side, there's not going to be one thing that happens to you that is going to make you unhappy forever. Mother Nature has instilled in all of us a baseline level of happiness. When you get what you think that you want that's going to make you happy, yeah, you'll be happy for a for a moment. But then you're going to go back to how you always were. And should Mother Nature kick you in the nuts and punch you in the face and stomp on your gut when you're down? You know, yeah, sure, that's going to hurt too. But once again, the pain's going to go away. You're going to heal. And then it's onward. Always onward. Now, going back to that work-life balance. Man, you know, there's people... There's a lot of guys who I work with who... You know, they're ultimately to each his own. But when they see that I am voluntarily not working overtime, when I am voluntarily taking off an early Friday, they're like, "What the heck, man?" Um, they're they're baffled. They don't understand. But meanwhile, you know, they have ninety thousand dollar trucks lifted. You know, brand new Teslas. You know. $70,000 Harley Davidsons and I'm like, man, you have to work overtime. You know, I don't have to. I know that money doesn't buy happiness. I know that the things that I have can't be bought. And I'm not sure where I heard this little piece of, of wisdom from, but it said something along the lines of the things that can be bought are the cheapest and the things that can't be bought those are the real value things that you should be uh, uh, focusing on for example if I can hire somebody else to do the job or if I can go out and buy this thing then it's ultimately cheap but if I focus on the things that only I can do I can't you know hire someone else to do this this is going to take only me, only I can do it, those are the things that I should be focusing on. And guess what my job does? You know, that, that's just a place for me to get some money. That's just a place for me to, you know, earn some income so that I can provide and yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. You know what a job is for. But ultimately, when I leave my job, hey, I don't stop working. I put on another dozen of hats and I do the things that only I can do the art of resilience weathering the storms oh yeah there is a storm coming a big bad wolf is going to be coming to blow down everything that you worked for now picture life's challenges as tempestuous storms fierce and unrelenting but by 40, you've become the seasoned captain of your ship. Nelson Mandela, the revered South African leader, knew a thing or two about resilience when he said, quote, The greatest glory in living lies not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. End quote. 
By this time, you have learned that adversity is not your enemy, but your greatest teacher. In the storm's fury, you've honed your skills, adjusted your sails, and emerged from the tempest stronger than ever. This resilience is your coat of armor, a treasure forged in the crucible of life's trials. Now, along these metaphorical storms, your mom's going to die, your dad's going to die, your, your goldfish is going to die, you're going to break your leg, you're going to lose your job, your wife, husband, significant other is going to leave you for the Amazon driver. Turns out that that Amazon guy was delivering more than just packages. All of those storms are going to punch you right in the face. And if you don't know how to deal with those storms, hey, guess what you're going to be using to prop yourself up with? A vice. Rather than facing the pain, facing the hurt, facing the storm, nah, you're going to be wanting to numb it down. You're going to be wanting to run from it. You're going to want to cower like a little rabbit and go find a hole to go crawl into and pretend like it doesn't exist. And because you're not acknowledging your responsibilities, hey, guess what? You get weaker. And your problems, they don't just, you know, go away. Nah, they, they grow. And they metastasize like a cancer. And with its tentacles, that problem, that problem grows and it starts to, starts to stretch out its tentacles and now it starts to permeate and grab everything, all aspects of your life. And you know what? You had the opportunity to do something about it when you were stronger and your problem was much smaller. But because you didn't do anything about it, you got smaller, your problem got bigger, and now you're looking at a big-ass dragon. I believe it was Frederick Nietzsche. Um, he was a, a great philosopher in the late 1800s. He said that, quote, no, not quote, <laughs> he loosely said something along the lines of, you can measure a man by... Seeing how much truth he's able to withstand without it being sugar-coated, diluted, or pretty much any other way to take away some of the brunt or the heaviness of truth. And man, yeah, you know, they, they say that truth is heavy because, man, it is heavy. And that's also why I say life is heavy. And you know what? You're going to need to have a strong back. And... You know, because truth can be so heavy, it buckles the backs of the weakest men. The weakest men get buried by the heaviness of, of truth. And that's why, men, we need to strengthen ourselves mentally, physically, spiritually, financially. We need to gather strength. You may be in a period of paradise right now where it's all rainbows and butterflies and a nice calm breeze jostling your bangs. But hey, just, just so you know, there's a storm out on the horizon and it's coming right for you right now. So hey, you want to be like that warrior in a garden and go start getting prepared, 
right now. You don't need to, you know, obsess about it, be all worried and scared of what the, you know, the, the future brings. But hey, man, just just get yourself ready. Get yourself ready mentally, physically, spiritually, financially to take on the brunt of that storm so that you are not unnecessarily having to suffer more than what is necessary. It's kind of like a, a storm is coming, and you know it's coming, and it's going to be heavy rains. And, uh, you know, over down yonder, there is a sign, and it's like, hey, this is where you come and get bags of sand. Go ahead and start, uh, you know, filling up these bags of sand, and bring them to your property, and, you know, that will stave off some unnecessary flooding for a well-evolved, mature adult, guess what they're going to go do? They're going to go down to that station. They're going to fill up their, their bags of sand. They're going to have them on their property. So when that, uh, that sky filled of gunmetal gray clouds start to formulate over your house, hey, you know what needs to be done. Meanwhile, that person who is, you know, not taking responsibility, uh, you can bet your bottom dollar that their house is going to be six feet underwater and that's not because of the storm that's just because of uh their neglectful acts of not doing what was needed to be done and you know i know uh, when your property's under six feet of water yes sandbags aren't going to be doing too much but hey you know what i'm saying come on pursuit of happiness the shores of contentment happiness that elusive treasure trove always shimmering on the distant shores the constitution only gives people the right to pursue happiness you have to catch it yourself end quote and that was humorously remarked by Benjamin Franklin at this point in a man's life when they reach that awesome age of 40 years old, hey, a.k.a. the new 20, (laughs) we have become seasoned treasure hunters seeking happiness, not as a passive observer, but as an active participant. We've learned that while material success is a worthy quest, it's not the sole island of happiness. True joy resides in the simple pleasures of life, in moments of connection and the warmth of relationships. We've discovered that happiness isn't an island. It's the sea upon which we sail. While nothing in life is free, you know, it doesn't take much to find joy in reading a book, having a cup of coffee, sitting quietly in your own house, finding comfort in a clean pair of clothes, finding comfort in a warm, clean bed with nice, fresh sheets, finding joy in the refreshment that a cold glass of water brings on a hot day, taking your little daughter and son to 7-Eleven to get a small blue raspberry Slurpee. Man, you know, that that is inexpensive. It does not cost much to be happy. Now, you can spend, you know, thousands of dollars going on a French Riviera cruise. 
drinking Dom Perignon and Cristal out of the finest China. But hey, if if you don't have a have a good head on your shoulders, if you are not happy and content, if you are depressed, anxious, overwhelmed, hey, guess what? You can't escape that. You can't circle the globe and run away from your depression, run away from your worries, run away from your bad marriage, from your broken relationships with your kids. You can't outrun that stuff. You take that everywhere with you. Wherever you go, there you are. You're going to bring along with you wherever you go, your body, your mindset, your thoughts. And if you can't be happy and content and find joy in the little things that are in your immediate environment, you know, then uh, then that is unfortunate. You know, don't take my word for it. Go ahead and, and Google about the elusiveness of happiness and not being able to find joy in the small things. You, you, may, you might learn something. Don't take my word for it. You know, this is, hopefully this episode is just sowing some seeds. Hopefully my podcast just sows some seeds of thought and maybe a different perspective. And you know what? If there's anything that I ever say that is, you know, completely so far off from the truth, hey, let me know. I'm willing to learn from other people, learn from my own mistakes. And if I have to put my, my foot in my mouth on some of these things that I've said, and I'm sure that I have, and I'm sure that as time goes on and I start to learn even more of myself and more of how the world works, I'm sure there is some things that I've said that have been silly. But hey, you know, that's just part of the process. Embracing change and impermanence, the ebb and flow. At 40 years old, we've become adept at embracing change, the ever-shifting tides of life. Herculetus, the ancient Greek philosopher, aptly noted that, quote, change is the only constant in life, end quote. We have set sail on the sea of impermanence, understanding that each wave brings new shores. This recognition of life's fleeting nature has made us cherish the present. We've embraced the philosophy of seizing the day, for, as Sarah Louise Delaney, an American centurion, wisely said, quote, Life is short, and it is up to you to make it sweet, end quote. We've become connoisseurs of the moments that make life flavorful. The other day I was listening to um, C, uh, Andrew C.K. What the, what the hell is his name? Yeah, Andrew C.K.? I forget. But he has a stand-up, uh, he's a stand-up comedian, and I was listening to his stand-up comedy album. And he starts off his bit unexpectedly, you know, talking about the impermanence of life. And his bit talks about how we all, we're all going to be dead much longer than we're going to be alive. And, you know, not just by a little bit, we're going to be dead for so much longer than we have ever lived. Now go ahead and chew on that for a little bit. And just know that, hey, this life 
that body that you have, it's only going to be around for, I don't know, if you're lucky, 80 years. But you're going to be dead for thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Hey, millions of years. You're going to be dead for millions of years. The universe has existed for millions and billions and trillions of years before you were shot out of your mother's vagina. And when you were buried and, you know, cremated or whatever, shot off into outer space, you're going to be dead for millions and billions and trillions of years. Longer than you have ever lived. So, hey, taking advice from that sweet little old lady, the centurion, life is short and it's up to you to make it sweet. Parenthood. Navigating new waters. Parenthood, like discovering a hidden island, brings a new chapter to our journey. It's a voyage into uncharted waters filled with the exhilaration of discovery and the challenge of navigation. As we welcome children into our lives, we become the seasoned explorers guiding them through the labyrinth of life. Parenthood teaches us that the most precious treasures are not material, but the moments we share with our children. Their laughter, their questions, their growth. It's a journey where we learn the true meaning of love, sacrifice, and unconditional support. Now, anybody can have a kid. A crackhead. They have kids. Drunks have kids. People serving life terms in prisons. They have kids. So there's nothing special about shooting out a bunch of kids. But it is the man and the woman who step up to the plate in effort to, you know, to guide not only themselves, because as we watch our children grow, you know, we grow too. Um, Seneca, he said that as long as you live, continuously learn how to live. And as a father, you know, when I had my first son, you know, I was just, you know, going through the, the process that, you know, society had set up for me. You know, you, you go through your teens and into your 20s and then you get married and you have a job and you buy a car, you get a dog and this and that, blah, 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 blah. And you have a kid. And, you know, there I am with the kid still with an idiotic, unevolved, immature mindset. It took some learning of the human condition, of learning about my condition, about learning where I came from, and then reflecting on my hardships, and then reflecting on the solutions that I applied to my hardships, which delivered me out of the wilderness. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, hey, my son is going to have the same struggles. My son is going to have the same problems. My son is going to be faced with all of these things that the human is going to have to endure and the human is going to have to solve in order for them to deliver themselves out of these wildernesses. You know, we're going to have to deliver ourselves from the pits of hell. We're going to have to avoid cliffs. We're going to have to avoid, 
you know, uh, razors and Halloween candy, all of these little obstacles that set us up for a world of pain and suffering. You know, my son and my, my children are going to have to navigate that for themselves. And so I started to think, I'm like, hey, Ruby Rube, if you can't deliver yourself from frustration and anger and addiction and alcoholism and nihilism, if you can't do it, well, what makes you think your kids are going to be do it? Uh, what makes you think your kids are going to be able to do it? And then so I started to think to myself, I'm like, hey, you know what? As a father, it is my moral obligation. It's my duty to be able to help and guide my kids to a more fulfilling life. And how can I do that if I can't even solve my own problems? How can I help my son overcome adversity or face his fears or do this and do that if I can't even do it myself? Now, I'm, I may not be able to show my son how to uh, code on a computer or swap out an engine on a car or reshingle a roof or, you know, do a bunch of things. But I am going to be able to teach him how to cope with stress. I'm going to be able to teach him how to take care of himself. I'm going to teach him how to communicate effectively because... When you are a effective communicator, you're going to be able to communicate what it is that you need. And in order for you to get what you need, you need to effectively communicate it to other people. So then the world can give you what it is that you need. You're not going to be able to physically fight and solve all, all your problems with throwing your fist around. I can't think off the top of my head who said the pen is mightier than the sword. But, hey, yep, you're damn right. The pen is mightier than the sword. That's why I have my son journal every single day. One other last thing on parenthood is this. Now, as a parent, we expect our children to try their best, to do their best, to be nice, to be kind. Just do your best. Right? And now how can we expect our children to do their best when we as parents, adults, people who, you know, kind of know right from wrong, how can we expect our children to do their best and choose the right thing over the wrong thing? How can we expect them to to do that when we don't even do it? Now, when you look at a lot of people's lives, man, there's a lot of people, a lot of parents who are a hundred pounds overweight, but they expect their kid to, you know, try hard in basketball or do the right thing in school and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, hey, mom, you're a hundred pounds overweight. Now, this is something that I have identified as the lopsided parenting philosophy. Hey, you know what? Luckily for you, I created a podcast talking exclusively about the lopsided parenting philosophy and uh you know it it really forces me to not be a freaking hypocrite when it comes to telling my son to try your hardest do your best you know just (laughs) do your best now when we identify what is best for us 
and then to you know have a have an idea of what that is and not to strive towards that it's like all right okay but we're not gonna do it nope okay well then you shouldn't tell your kid to you know do their best just uh just let your kids be uh guided by a pack of wolves by the streets because you know obviously you don't know how to how to get your own life in order so it's like who are you to tell someone else to do something do as i say not as i do that's your parenting philosophy okay all right makes makes sense i guess in bizarro world but hey here in reality us parents it is a monkey see monkey do marriage a shared voyage marriage my dear friends my seekers of strength It is like embarking on a shared voyage with the trusted co-captain. In the words of Antonin de Saint-Exupéry, the French writer, quote, Love does not consist in gazing at each other, but in looking outward together in the same direction, end quote. It's a journey where two souls sail together, sharing the joys of weathering the storms of life as partners. In marriage, we discover that the treasure isn't only the destination, but the voyage itself. It's the intimate moments, the shared dreams, and the deep understanding that growth takes time. It is in these partnerships that we find strength, companionship, and the resilience to navigate the challenging seas of life. As we sail through the sea of marriage, we learn to cherish each other's uniqueness and celebrate the union of two distinct journeys. It's a voyage that teaches us the beauty of compromise, the power of communication, and the art of unwavering support. Now, as you already know by now, life is not all rainbows and sunshine. Therefore, marriage is not going to be all rainbows and sunshine. Yep. There's going to be a lot of storms, a lot of little things that, hey, you have the opportunity to make a mountain out of little molehills. Now, in the realm of guiding a little two-year-old, you have to be able to pick your battles. And that same piece of advice is applicable in marriage. You got to pick your battles. You also have to know that your partner is not a mind reader, unless you are married to Sylvia Brown. For those of us who are not married to fortune tellers, this is when the power of becoming an effective communicator yields its greatest power. You're going to have to be able to articulate what it is that you want so that your significant other can can give you what you need. There's a book called The Art. Um, There's a book called Never Split the Difference. And he talks about active listening. And one of the main key components of becoming an effective communicator is to actively listen. It's not all about you. It's not all about your needs. You're going to have to negotiate, you know, these little things in your life that Add up to the complexities that make all these variables add up in all sorts of crazy ways. Marriage is essentially 
two imperfect people combining into one imperfect life. But once again, hey, that perfectionism, people can want their their house to be perfect, their kids to be perfect, their marriage to be perfect. And because it is not their picture of perfection, they're miserable. There's some people who can't even leave their house because, you know, there's a dish in the sink. There's some people who can't go to bed because, you know, the, the stove counter is not, you know, completely wiped down or vacuuming wasn't completed or name whatever list of chore or little tiny thing that they completely freak out and lose their shit over. And it's like, man, hey, you just made a mountain out of a molehill. And trust me, I've been guilty of that plenty of times. I have went to bed angry many times against or going against, you know, wise advice. But man, you know, like I said before, you know, I'm not perfect. My marriage isn't perfect. My house isn't perfect. But, you know, we work with what we have. And my wife is the ying to my yang. I am her ying to her yang. And I know that as life goes on and we continuously work on ourselves separately and then we can come together as a unit, hey man, that is when we start to become like, uh, what's his face, Iron Man and, and his old lady in, that, uh, in the Avenger movie. You know, we're just back to back shooting lasers at every orifice, knocking out any, any type of uh, problem that, that may persist. I remember when I got engaged. I think I got married at like 28. I don't know. Something something around those lines. I got married at 28 or 29. Had a kid at 30. But, hey. The way that I grew up. There was something along the lines of like, hey. You know, you're, you're getting married now. All right. You don't need to go to the gym anymore. You don't need to work out anymore. You already got your girl. Why? Who are you trying to impress? Huh? Trying to go to the gym to get some muscle to impress? Who? Hmm? Who are you, who are you going to be impressing with that muscle? You got your wife. And that was a notion that was expressed by you know some of the quote-unquote wise elders in my life. And I was like, um, I'm just going to keep, you know, doing what has been working. You know, this... this this uh, these muscles, well, they they kind of attracted my my wife to me, amongst other things. Don't get me wrong; it was probably my rico suave flamenco dancing that uh, also caught my my wife's eye. But it probably didn't hurt that I had a an ass like a linebacker, wearing some some toit pants and a, and an Ed Hardy affliction. Uh, clubbing shirt. Now, I hypothesize that when you marry the right person, you want to become the best version of yourself. You don't want to just let yourself go. Why would you let yourself go and neglect giving your best version of yourself to your significant other? I don't know. That blows my mind. Now, you don't need, you know, to look like Ronnie Coleman You don't need to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But, you know, you can keep yourself in shape. 
I'm sure they would appreciate that, right? You know, I don't think that that is too much to ask for, for, you know, you to want to give your best version of yourself to your significant other. And that's something, you know, once again, I'm not perfect. I don't have all the answers figured out. I'm just, you know, going off a little bit of intuition, going off a little bit of my gut feeling and, you know, just trying to do my best, trying to make my sense, uh, trying to make sense of this crazy world. I'm 40 years old. I've been able to solve for myself a lot of problems. And a lot of the problems that I have been able to solve are shared within this podcast catalog. And, man, you know, this is just a little tip of the iceberg, man. I I can talk in depth about all sorts of things. But, man, once again, this is just an opportunity to plant a little seed into your life. In conclusion... The lessons we have learned by the age of 40 are the treasures of our personal odyssey, each one a valuable gem in the chest of our experiences. These lessons shape our choices, our aspirations, and our worldview. They guide us through the labyrinth of life, helping us navigate its twists and turns. So as you continue your journey through the ever-changing seas of life, remember that it's a multifaceted voyage. It's an expedition of self-discovery, resilience, adaptation, and connection. It's a journey of seeking happiness, cherishing the present, embracing change, and nurturing relationships. Parenthood and marriage are new chapters adding depth and richness to the tapestry of our lives. May these lessons be the compass by which you navigate the vast and uncharted seas of the future. May your voyage be filled with treasures beyond measure. And may your ship be guided by the wisdom of the ages. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of wisdom and reflection. And may your journey be enriched by the treasures of life's lessons. Until next time, it's onward, always onward.